0: Welcome to Sparks of History, where world history and Jewish history meet. We are extremely pleased to have with us today noted author and historian, David Marwell. Mr. Marwell served as Chief of Investigative Research at the Justice Department's official Office of Special Investigations in the 1980s. He is the former director of the Museum of Jewish History in New York City and today we will be discussing Mr. Marwell's gripping and chilling account of Mengele unmasking the angel of death. It's an exclusive first-hand account based on highly detailed research and Mr. Marwell's own role and involvement in handling the Mengele file leading to the confirmation of Mengele's death. Uh, again, thank you very much for being with us today. Appreciate it very much. To start off, your background and how you became interested and involved in Joseph Mengele.
1: Well, I should say that, <clears throat> that while I was at the university, I uh, in, I think in the summer of 1971, I read a book by uh, Simon Wiesenthal called Murderers Among Us, and where he describes Mangala and the um his attempts to to locate him and that got me I think it was my initial contact with with the name Mangala, and it got me sort of interested in in the figure and what happened to him <clears throat> following my my PhD in history I uh, was hired by the Department of Justice office of special investigations as you've mentioned and I joined a a, a small office in Washington that, was responsible for identifying, locating, and prosecuting Nazi war criminals living in the United States. In the course of that work, we were also charged with some special assignments, and one of which was the um, to, to determine whether the allegations that Klaus Barbie, the so-called butcher of Lyon, had, um, had been used by U.S. intelligence, and although that wasn't part of our normal work, it was assigned to us because we were the best-equipped office in the in the in the U.S. government to deal with that. So that began a a, a um, was the first of a couple of these special projects that went outside of our normal brief, which was to to actually build cases and bring cases to court. Uh, a few years after the Barbie case, which ended in 1983, um, a new figure emerged that was, in many ways, more more well known and more um, more infamous. And that was Joseph Mengele. And I was at the beginning, at the very end of 1984, the beginning of 1985. I was charged uh, in the within the office to help um, examine the allegations that. Mengele had been used by U.S. military or um, which were allegations that were current at the time and that he had been in U.S. custody and had been released um, with with knowledge. So we began to to examine those charges and as the investigations moved on, um, it was broadened to include a, a search for, for Mengel, a manhunt for him. Another office, of the Justice Department was brought in, the U.S. Marshal Service, and soon the German government and the Israeli government um, joined us in this tripartite investigation.
0: By way of, of backgrounds, what were the early influences that shaped Mengel?
1: Well, he he was um, in in my book, I tried to to see if I could discover, um, in the early life of Joseph Mengele, any hints at that would reveal, um, the man that he had become. And I will say that in his childhood, he had a, a relatively unremarkable child. He was, um, born into a prominent wealthy family that owned one of the largest businesses in the town of Gunzburg in, in Bavaria. He had, uh, a loving family with, with parents and brothers and was well cared for. Uh, He displayed none of the extreme politics or extreme behavior that, that uh, characterized his, his later life. And uh, there's no kind of hints at the man that he would become. It really was when he began his university studies in April of 1930 when he became fully engaged intellectually in the study of medicine and the study of anthropology, that he, um, that, he that these influences, um, which began to coincide with the politics at the moment um, really stamped him for, for his later behavior. Um.
0: What, what education, university education did he receive and how did this mold his theories of uh, racial
1: hygiene? Well, he, he, he didn't create the theory of rage, racial hygiene. He, he was exposed to it in his studies of anthropology and medicine. He In fact, got two advanced degrees, two PhDs, one in medicine and one in anthropology. And he studied with the elite teachers of his time. Um he, Many of some of them had had received the Nobel Prize. Others would later on in their lives and careers. Um, Mengele, who displayed no particular interest in science um, when he was in in gymnasium in in, in high school. Uh, by the time he got to the university, he became so engaged in it. And it was at a time that these sciences uh, anthrop- anthropology, basically physical anthropology and medicine, uh, took on a new status under the Nazi regime. Um, Rudolf Hess, who was the was Hitler's deputy, once said that um, that uh, National Socialism, Nazism, was essentially applied biology. The, the fundamental basis for Nazi ideology was the determination of race in terms of what what a person's uh, concerning a person's quality. And um, the Nazis enshrined that theory of racial hygiene, of of caring for and protecting race and promoting um, racial practices. Uh, They enshrined that in their ideology and in their bureaucracy. And Mengele became um, a um, student of these disciplines um, at a time when they increased incredibly in status, which meant that they received... um, Focus from the government, they received better funding. And uh, Mengele, whose interest in science, this science, was not political, it was scientific, but it happened to coincide and, and uh, engage with the politics of the time.
0: So he joins the Nazi party after university, after his studies?
1: He joins at the very end of his, of his uh, formal studies, 1938, I think, is when he's accepted into the party and into the SS.
0: The trajectory of his career as an SS officer: How did it start, and
1: where did it culminate? Well, I should say that in his um, educational career, he started off at the University of Munich, received his PhD in, in, in uh, anthropology, and his medical license from Munich. He then went on to get an advanced degree in medicine from from the from the Frankfurt University and became an assistant there to the head of the Institute for Racial Hygiene in Frankfurt. And during this service, he carried out racial evaluations of individuals and um, really became uh, sort of the, his teachers, uh, Atmar Fadfarshur, a famous geneticist, and racial theorist. Um, Mengele became a, uh, his prize student. Um, right before the war began, In the summer of 1939, Mengele uh, joined the army and received training as a Wehrmacht physician. Um, He received a dispensation from um, being called up to active duty uh, after the war began. And that was delayed for about nine months or so into the spring of 1940. Um, he had decided that he didn't like the, his assignment with the Wehrmacht, and he joined the SS instead. And he was immediately, or soon after, sent to um, to Posen in in uh, annexed Poland, and he was there to evaluate the racial evaluations of ethnic Germans who had been brought into the Reich, um, subject uh, pursuant to the. Um, secret annex of the non-aggression pact between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. So he was he was applying his his anthropology and medical knowledge almost from the very beginning uh, of the war. He then, in the in the the very end of 1940, went to the Fifth SS Viking Waffen SS Viking Division as a combat physician in the uh, on the staff of the pioneer or the engineer battalion of the 5th SS, Waffen SS Division. And he trained with them through the spring of 1941 and then took part in Operation Barbarossa, the invasion of the Soviet Union, with them in the summer of 1941. And this unit moved across uh, Ukraine uh, and was involved in a series of mass shootings and other mass violent activities um, we don't know, and it's probably unlikely that Mengele himself participated in these activities, but he was certainly aware of them. Um, and he remained with the Bapinesse, uh Viking Division until January of 1943, when he was airlifted out of the area that was connected to the covering the... the um, retreat of the German armed forces from Stalingrad.
0: And so he obviously arrives uh, at Auschwitz. And um, what did you learn um, from the survivors
1: of Mengele's Auschwitz experiments? Yeah, Um, I, I should say as a kind of introduction to this, this theme, that there are very few records relating to Mengele's service at Auschwitz. uh, Historians of science have been able to locate some records that indicate some of what Mengele did there. But one has to um, really rely on testimony of of witnesses. And these are problematic. Uh, Problematic not because people uh, lied about what happened, but because many times they would make statements about Mengele's activities that were beyond their ability to have known that. Um, I always use the standard that a person can speak authoritatively about what happened to them, but it's difficult for them to speak about the larger context because they'd have no way of, of perceiving that. So that much of what the witnesses say about what Mengele did, although it it illuminates what their own personal Uh, experience was, it doesn't really, um, provide a reliable, um, reliable information about what Mengele's objectives were, what his, what, what his procedures were, what, what his overall plan was. And that has to be reconstructed from, um, from other kinds of evidence, The, the, the scattered documentary evidence that exists and from the testimony of, um, some of his colleagues, and importantly, also the physicians and other medical personnel who assisted him, who had who were inmates in their own right, but who were forced to assist him. These people had a, a more um, contextual understanding of what he was doing. They weren't traumatized children. Um, they weren't um, subjected to his experiments themselves, but they witnessed the experiments as, in many cases, as professional um, uh, medical experts or as anthropologists. And, and what did you discover was his goal, his research? Well, as I say, it's it's almost impossible to know exactly what he was doing, but I should back up one step and say that when Mengele was airlifted out of out the of, uh, Soviet Union and in January of 1943, he ended up in Berlin. And there he connected with his former mentor, Admar von von Feschur, who had become the director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute in Berlin. And Mengele was associated with that Institute from January of 1943 until he went to Auschwitz in May of, at the end of May of 1943. And he got to to know the, the staff of the Institute and associated with them, understood their scientific interests. And um, his connection with the Institute was very important to understanding and to kind of reconstructing what he was doing at Auschwitz because he he acted in very close cooperation with the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute when he was at Auschwitz. So what do we know? In my book, I talk about uh, six areas of research that it appears he was involved in. And they include, um, among other things, Uh, the, seeking the, the, um, the cure for a disease called Noma, which was an an oral cancer that had emerged at Auschwitz um, because of the poor conditions, poor nutritional and sanitation conditions. He was interested in, in eye color and examining um, the influence of, of hormones on eye color because eye color was a difficult issue for geneticists at the time, since, so many different physical factors contribute to eye color, and so many potential um, genetic connections are involved. And he did work at Auschwitz in connection with one of the physicians, one of the uh, scientists at the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, a woman named Karen Karen Magnusson. Uh, He did experiments um, on the impact of of certain hormones when when uh, dropped into the eyes of of individuals. He was also interested in um, something called specific proteins, which was um, an attempt to use these so-called specific proteins to determine uh, race and and other things. He was interested in physical anomalies. This was an anthropological interest. That is... uh, he was interested in, in dwarfs and in giantism and giants. Uh, he was interested in other physical anomalies, uh, clubfoot, uh, hunchback, things like that, um, where he was interested in collecting specimens of these growth anomalies to be displayed and in, in, in used for medical training. He was interested in, 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 in gypsies and their anthrop- anthropological uh, um, characteristics. Uh, there's a theory, and I believe it to be true, that Mengele, when he got to Auschwitz, was interested in in, um, gaining his so-called habilitation, which is a a postdoctoral status that one achieves in Germany if if one wants to have a a university career or uh, to run an institute or something like that. It's an advanced postdoctoral degree, in a way, uh, status. Um, And that it, it was at least plausible, if not likely, that Mengele was using his time at Auschwitz at the gypsy camp to collect information and anthropological studies to to write his Habilitation Schrift, which is the post-doctoral dissertation. Um, so there's a there were a series of different kinds of uh, inquiries that Mengele was interested in, in pursuing.
0: Did the um, Nazi leadership directly know of were they aware of Mengele's
1: activities at Auschwitz? Yes, although most of what he did, he did on his own on his own time. Um, but he's, in, in his performance appraisal that was carried out by the chief physician at Auschwitz in August of 1944, uh, it is mentioned that he used his time and his knowledge of anthropology to carry out useful experiments. Um, so that is certainly known. And um, Mengele, uh, with Um, other physicians at Auschwitz were involved in a a series of of different kinds of scientific endeavors that were were meant not only to promote their own careers, but also to assist um, many of them were very practical kinds of experiments to assist uh, the Nazis um, in their plans. Um, How did Mengele escape after the war? Um, He When he left Auschwitz in January of 1945, uh, he packed all his notes and and specimens and other things into a vehicle and went to Berlin where he received his next assignment, which was to be the garrison physician for the area around uh, Breslau um, and to be the chief physician at uh, the Gross Rosen concentration camp. By the time he got to Gross Rosen, it was just on the brink of being... um, Liberated by the Soviets and he then transferred to a subcamp of of Rosen. and then finally by, by the beginning of May 1945, he was on foot headed back to, uh, to Germany um, in retreat and uh, because the Soviets were headed his way and, and he knew as well as others that the war was over. On his way, he encountered a Wehrmacht field hospital which as um, luck would have it for him, the one of the uh, officers there was a, a former colleague of his at the Frankfurt Institute. And he asked whether he could join up with this field hospital. And they said, yes, he got rid of his SS uniform and donned a Wehrmacht um, officer's uniform. And he and this field hospital ended up for about 6 weeks beginning in in early May 1945 to to mid June 1945 in an area that was unoccupied the soviets had halted their advance um, and the, the americans in this case uh had halted their advance and they left an area in in a in a forest that was um un, unoccupied by either of the the allies it was there in this Forest encampment that Mengel was able to establish his, uh, a very cogent co- cover story and establish his identity as a Wehrmacht officer, not an SS officer. At some point it was decided wisely by this field hospital that they would um, surrender to the Americans rather than the Soviets, which was a clear, clearly right. a good choice for them. And they got in their vehicles and they drove Toward the west, and they ended up near Hof in Bavaria, and they surrendered to the Americans and were placed in in two different um, prisoner of war camps. Um, first one, and then that, that closed down, and they moved to another. Were moved to another one. Um, Mengele was likely released under his own name, although that's not certain, in mid mid August of 1945. This happened for two reasons, or at least two reasons explain why how this could have happened. One, uh, Mengele did not have the blood type tattoo that m- almost all SS, Waffen SS officers or personnel had. This was a tattoo under their left arm, which indicated their blood type in case they were um, wounded and unconscious uh, on the battlefield. They could receive the appropriate blood type for transfusion. Mengele who had been a medical officer for his unit, um, refused to get the tattoo or just didn't give himself the tattoo. He was responsible for, for, for yeah. um, typing the blood and giving the tattoo. Um, so that he was able to pass these, these simple but normally effective litmus tests that the, the allies, the Americans applied to German prisoners, take off your shirt, raise your arms. If they saw the blood type tattoo, they would then be moved aside and, evaluated uh, more carefully through intense negotiate, uh, interrogation. Also, although Mengele's name appears on an early uh, wanted list, um, even before the end of the war, uh, we found in our investigation that uh, these wanted lists had not been effectively distributed and hadn't reached the POW facility where Mengele had been, uh, had been interned. So he was able to he was able to be released probably under his own name. And from there he went to, uh, well, I've, I've answered a question. You might, yeah. Um, yeah. If,
0: if you continue. It, 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 he,
1: he, he, he then, South America. Yeah. He decided not uh, to go home, not to go to his home in, in Bavaria. And instead um, took on a false name because he was concerned about his safety and worked on a farm as a manual laborer for, for um, about three years, Um, he very difficult work. Um, He made contact with his family. Um, His brother came to visit him, his wife and infant son came to visit him uh, on 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 several different occasions. And at some point um, he decided that it was nearly impossible for him to have a life in Germany anymore and decided that he had to leave. And with the help of his wealthy family, and the money that they had. He was able to make his way um, from Germany through uh, Austria over the Brenner Pass into Italy and finally to Genoa, where he boarded a, a, a ship for, for Buenos Aires in the summer of 19, or the late spring of 1949. Um, his wife decided not to go with him, so he left his wife and, and toddler son uh, behind.